get the, well, you might want to get the doors, Jeremy, if you wouldn't mind. Second Chronicles chapter 34. <clears throat> I know I've said it several times, and I'm grateful you're here. I, I know it's a sacrifice. Usually uh, when these things go, you're, you're taking yourself out of something else to be here, and I, I appreciate it. But I think, I hope, I hope you get as much as I get. I'm telling you, it's good stuff. So um, I always want to help preachers by giving them some practical helps. So here's one for you. It has nothing to do with the message. Uh, get a little plaque. Name your bed the Word. Amen? It's important for all of us to spend time in the Word. Amen? Get a phone call. Pastor, I know we never come to church, but we're having some marriage problems. Can you come over? You know I'd love to, but I've committed to spend time in the Word today. Amen? All that's free, so do that. <laughs> there you go, visitations, the boat's visitation, that's right. Uh, what we have in this session, some thoughts I just want to share. It's kind of shotgun, a lot of thoughts I have, but uh, uh, I, a few things I want to, just been burning on my heart lately, so uh, I'll just give you in the short time we have together 95 things that bother me in today's youth. Uh, speak to uh, just some things maybe I've learned as I've gotten a little older. Uh, who's older than they used to be? Amen? So that's what we're doing, right? We're learning as we grow older, and we should be anyway. One of the things that <clears throat> I am grateful to my dad and my, and my first pastor for, but dad specifically, is that it was inst I was instilled early in my life uh, with the right heroes. Uh, for obvious reasons, we didn't play many sports together. Uh, I did not, couldn't watch many movies, so I didn't really idolize movie stars. My heroes were preachers from a young age. Uh, that was the environment I was raised in. And uh, I was privileged to meet and to hear some great men. Bill Rice III, Tom Malone, Harlan Popov, Jack Hiles, Ron Riley, Ron Comfort, Bob Gray, Ron Garris, many more. And then of others, I know Lester Roloff died before I was uh, saved, but he uh, still through tapes and different things, and John R. Rice. And I revered many of these men. Many of these men signed my Bible, and, and I would uh, get to meet them. But here's the problem with human heroes. They can fail. And I remember well clearly the first time that sick feeling in my stomach the first time one of my spiritual heroes one of the men i respected had a moral failure and uh that's a, a no, by, by the way i have no problem understanding moral failure that's not what we're going to talk about today i get moral failure it's a horrible thing it's a sad thing it's a tragic thing it's heartbreaking but it's understandable and I think we better understand the deceitfulness and the destructfulness and the power of sin that can take us all down. Because one of the, <clears throat> one of the ways that really terrifies me at the moral failings of a man that I, of men I looked at greater than I am, that they fail morally, is that that could be me and could be you. I, and I'm not exaggerating, I have often literally trembled at the thought that Satan's got my phone number just like he had theirs. And we better be real careful uh, in our ministries. But that's not today's lesson. I want to move forward a little bit from uh, a youth about two decades. I noticed something that I did not expect. My peers <clears throat> were leaving their Baptist distinctives. We're talking young people that preached in conferences that I went to. They were in our circles, if you, uh, you want to use that word. <clears throat> we knew them, they knew us. 
drop the name Baptist, pick up a different Bible, listening to different music, going to different places. Now, I know that you don't have to be Baptist to go to heaven, but if you're going to go anyway, why not go first class? Amen? And uh, I do consider myself a Biblist. I tell our people, we have a, our name of our church. I love the name of our church, Bible. That's first, Baptist Church. We're primarily Biblicist, but I, I am Baptist to my core because I believe it aligns closest to what we find in the Word of God. So I'm sure many of you can identify with what I'm talking about when you went to Bible college. The uh, big stars, the guys that were going to be the next Moody, the next Spurgeon, these guys would be king of the campus. And we had them at where I went to school as well, went to school in Ambassador Baptist College. We had them on campus. They were the... They were the ones that we all looked up to. They got the good speaking gigs. You know, and churches would call in, and they'd ask for a preacher for the weekend. These are the guys that would get out and get the good speaking gigs. I, for a year, preached at a homeless shelter on Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. Have you ever preached to homeless people at 8 o'clock in the morning on a weekend? And this is how it would go. They would all be, there's a long row, and I'm not, I'm telling exactly how this went down. Long row, uh, bunks on both sides. Everything's dark. So I would come in. I had my little pulpit. I would put the pulpit in the middle there. I would turn on the lights. All right, today we're going to be preaching out of Matthew chapter 5. And I'd just start preaching. And they would get up groggy and cussing and mad and angry. And uh, it, listen, that was a, I, I got used to be able to preach to a very cranky crowd, you know. It uh, prepared me for deacons' meetings. It was great. But when you move 20 years in the future, it's amazing to see who made it and who doesn't. Who's still with the stuff and who isn't. I think of the top three, and I, I could name them. I don't want to do so because people, I mean, they're still around. But I think of the top three young men in our Bible college. We all looked up to them. They would have been voted the most likely to set the world on fire when I was in college. One of them is not in ministry anymore. One actually joined a rock and roll band later and got a divorce after that. And the third is a pastor to Southern Baptist Church. Now, why do solid young men, often from solid backgrounds, depart what we believe? Again, I get moral failure. That's not what we're talking about here. I'm talking about departing from what we believe. This question <clears throat> has haunted me for the past few years because it seems like every year another one of my friends, my peers, drops off the reservation and goes another direction. I believe that there's a great model in Scripture that might answer some of these questions. And believe me, I don't have the, all the answers to it, just some ideas. But before we get to our text, <clears throat> I want to I do make, I don't think any of us argue this point, that there's a generational difference between what we're dealing with today and what we had even 20 years ago when I was up-and-coming young preacher. I mean, we're in a new world today. We have seven genders, not counting stupid. Amen? We've got to deal with that today. And there seems to be an obsession, and now moving not, not to our society, but in our circles, our young preachers, there seems to be an obsession with discussing and debating issues that I feel have been settled decades ago. And now there are two extremes. There's the extreme of opening our mouths and accepting everything that rolls off the tongue of one of our spiritual heroes. And then there's the extreme of accepting nothing and questioning everything. I don't think either one of those extremes are good. I think that we need to be in the middle and have a balance. But I, I'll give you an example. I have never 
in my life bought or read a book that explains the anti-KJV movement. I haven't felt the need to. Uh, I was saved out of the King James Version. I grew out of the King James Version. My dad was saved out of the King James Version. He preaches out of the King James Version. My pastor uh, has always used the King James Version. And really, honestly, it's good enough for me. Why change something that's worked for hundreds of years? So, but, but there's been a shift today in many of our younger preachers. And this is, a, this is something, it's a pet peeve of mine. It's something that bothers me immensely. You take a basement dweller whose mom still does his laundry and folds his clothes and makes him bologna sandwiches and cuts the crusts off for him. He writes a blog and people give him more credibility than they do a preacher who's went out and started something from nothing and built something for God. We're given all kinds of credence. To, and, and I tell you, in, in my experience and my desire is to always take advice and counsel from those who do rather than those who know. Young people, of which I am one, need to have respect. For, <laughs> amen. <laughs> need to have respect for people who have fought the battle, who've done a work for God. I, an evangelist friend, I was I was discussing this with a couple different people. An evangelist friend I called the other day. Uh, he said, "I was just told this recently when he, he preaches in colleges a lot <clears throat> at a Bible college. He was told these exact words recently, and I quote: My professors." don't know how to work a smartphone. What can they really teach me about ministry? He ought to, brain, uh, he ought to sue his brain for non-support. Amen? The whole tenor of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, is one of respect for older, wiser men. Now, Elihu was correct when he told Job in uh, Job 32.9, great men are not always wise. We understand that. Not all of them are. But when you find an older, wiser man who has done a work for God, who has been found faithful over the years, you'd understand we ought to sit at his feet and at least listen to what he has to say and try to understand it. If you meet an experienced pastor, there ought to be a fundamental assumption that it may be small or it may be huge, but what this man has to communicate to me, I ought to listen and I ought to learn from it. I'm going to do whatever it takes to listen to what a man has to say that has stuck by it and been found faithful. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, Every man I meet is my superior in some way, and in that I learn from him. Jeremiah 3.15, you know the verse well, And I will give you bloggers according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. The Bible doesn't say that, does it? Amen? Pastors! Pastors! The men of God who have gone before. Listen, Rehoboam made this mistake in 2 Chronicles 10.8, but he forsook the counsel which the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men which were brought up with them. In so doing, they led him down the wrong path. 2 Timothy 3.14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now, if we look at that verse, we find two distinct things we're talking about here. We find the what? Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. But we also see the who. He says, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. There's a loyalty, I believe, demanded in Scripture to those that taught us the right way. Follow me as I follow Christ, Paul said. Now, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is overly simplistic. I'm a kind of a simplistic guy. But I've always felt until I have fought the battle, 
that I have no right to question those who have and have taught me. We ought to listen. That's why God gave us one of, one of these, two of these, amen? We to listen twice as much as we talk. Now, just because the battle's been fought and is a done deal in your mind does not mean that you abandon that topic. We need to teach it. <coughs> Excuse me. We need to teach it. There have been so many, uh, too many pastors that believe the right thing, and, but they hear the question, why do we do what we do, and they don't have an answer for it. I think there's, that's equally as tragic. Well, that's why you have a church that when the pastor leaves, they just fizzle out, and they either follow error or close up completely. Or you have a, a people that have spent years in a Baptist church, and they move on and then join some non-denominational church. Why? They haven't been taught. Why we believe what we believe. Why we're Baptists. Why we, do the, why we use this Bible. We ought to teach these things. I think it's an important thing. Today I want to look at the contrast between two men. And uh, before we look at our passage in 2 Chronicles 34, I want to read a couple of verses out of 2 Chronicles 24. <coughs> the two men are Joash and Josiah. In 2 Chronicles 24.1, Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Zebiah of Beersheba, and Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. That's good. All the days of Jehoiada the priest. Now, 2 Chronicles 34.1-3 is where we're at today. Let's read about a different young man, also a young man who got a kingship, as a child, Josiah was eight years old, verse 1, when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one in thirty years. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For the, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God. Did you notice that? He did not seek after David. He began to seek after the God of David his father. Twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and carved images and the molten images. When Josiah became king at eight years old, he performed better than his father Ammon. He performed better than his grandfather Manasseh. When Josiah the king chose a mentor, he chose his forefather David. He walked in the ways of David, and that was a smart thing to do. It is honorable, I believe, to follow after those who have gone before you and done it right and done the right thing. Nothing wrong with modeling what people have done and uh, following the right way. Now in chapter 24, we find that Joash followed God and did right as long as his hero was alive. As long as Jehoiada the priest was around, then he stayed right. But we find in chapter 24, verse 17, now after the death of Jehoiada came the princes of Judah and made obeisance to the king. And then the king hearkened unto them, and they left the house of the Lord God their fathers and served groves and idols. Nothing sadder than to see the second and third generation, the ones that began right, preachers that began strong, and then they begin to change in the upcoming generation. Not only, not only do they depart from what they were, but they turn and criticize what they came from. Have you ever noticed that no one becomes a liberal alone and stays quiet about it? That's when we fire up the old computer and start to tweet and blog. Both Josiah and Joash, the point is I'm making today, they started right. Both of them did. They started right. But there were several things in the life of Josiah that you do not find in the life of Joash. Jo Josiah did some things that made him his own man. Let's look at just a few. Number one, he chose the right example. He did not choose Solomon. 
Solomon started, started strong, but he's, he ended up a disaster. He did not choose Solomon. He chose David. And <clears throat> Solomon used the kingdom to make him great. David was a servant of the people. Josiah chose David. He, he followed the ways of David, secondly. Now, there's always the danger of the criticism. You're just trying to copy someone. Guilty. <laughs> I'm, I, I, and there may, there may be smarter people than me, but I am not smart enough to be an innovator. I'm an imitator. And I don't really believe... Look, if it worked for the church of Jerusalem, do you think it'll work in the church at Brookings? Think it'll work in your church? Let's just imitate the ones who did it right. How do, we, how do we build churches today? We build churches just how they did in the book of Acts. We just follow the Bible. We do what the Bible says. And, and there's nothing wrong with, look, we use social media, we use uh, uh, Facebook, we use different things to try to reach people, especially during this, this uh, scam pandemic that's going on and, and uh, people are watching even right now. And, and, uh, and I appreciate that, as was mentioned earlier. I'm grateful for those things. But really at the core of it, we don't depart the truth of the Word of God because it's the Word of God that's going to strengthen us and it's what's going to build people. Chose the, we followed the ways of David. I, I, for one, do not have a problem for the second generation to copy the first generation if it's done right. And by the way, in this generation that I'm in now, I want to do things in such a way that others can look to us and say, I, I want to copy what he's doing there. I, it's working there, and you ought to have the same plan. Listen, we've got uh, Brother Silas now starting another church. Uh, Alexandria ought to copy Elbow Lake, do what they've done there. Uh, my son-in-law just took a church in Clark, and, and we're meeting on a regular basis, and we don't have all the answers here, but there's some things here he can learn from and use there, and, and your church as well, churches that have been faithful. Uh, let's not depart just because something's new and something's flashy. We don't depart what we have. Number three, he sought the God of his Father. Point the second generation not to you, but to the one you follow. He sought the God of David his Father. Chapter 24, verse 17, Joash followed his hero until he was dead. And then here come guys. They start to travel up to Joash and start to give him gifts. Always be careful when people come by bearing gifts. <laughs> He's talking about pies and pats. I, I had to, you have to kind of watch for those that have a lot of pies and pats. They sometimes, uh, that's in their right hand, you know, in their left hand's a knife. Come up behind you in the back. Uh, be careful when people come bringing gifts. In verse number 8 of our text, Josiah, he's seeking after God. And guess where it led him? It led him to the house of God. He went to the house of God in verse 17 through 19. And we don't have time to really dig into this, but in verse 17 through 19, it led him to the word of God. This is important. Josiah did not stop with his mentor. He, went, he used his mentor to get him to the house of God, then into the word of God. Joash did what the priest said, and that's not a bad thing, but it's not best because it only lasted as long as the priest lasted. And when we are founded on a personality rather than the Word of God, it makes us professing but not possessing. We need more young men, especially, that are possessing, not just professing. Get into the Word of God. We've got to get into the Word of God ourselves. Now, Joash never got into the Word of God himself. He was just following a man. And as long as his, he was doing right, he was doing the right thing, following somebody, but he never made his God, his God, never made his ways, his ways. And so when he passed off the scene, so did his conviction. So did the way he did things. The big difference is found in these two men, not before the heroes died, but after the heroes died. Because both of them were doing right until then. 
But after the heroes died, then uh, it became real and we could see what they were. Verse 19, we find humility in Josiah. By the way, you don't get humility from your hero. You get humility, uh, you get humility from where your hero did in the word of God. Josiah said, whatever David did, that I'm going to do. He, there came a day in his life, he said, I'm going to find out why David did what David did. <clears throat> and it took him to the house of God and to the word of God, and it led him to humility. Josiah, on the other hand, when heroes, his hero died, he was immediately taken up with pride. Big difference. Here's the difference right here. He was in the book. Josiah was. If you don't get into the book, as soon as your hero is gone, you're finished. It may be when you get out of Bible college. It might be when you no longer are serving under that strong pastor. Now get out in a church on your own and all of a sudden you're going the wrong direction because you're not under your hero anymore, not under the guidance of somebody. Listen, it's important. We better get into this book. We've got to make their convictions our convictions and stand by them. God gave us a brain and a Bible. We're supposed to open one and use the other. We forget which is which sometimes. By the way, uh, if you read this chapter, as, as you get towards the end of this chapter, and, uh, uh, that, that we're, our, our text here, 34, you find there's not a lot of talk about David anymore. In the beginning it was David, and then David fades as he gets into the book, as he gets into the house of God. He had faded away, and verse 31 shows us that Josiah got his convictions from the book. And if you get your convictions from a man, they're going to fail when the man's gone. Or, if you put your convictions from a man and he has a moral failure, you'll be destroyed. It's a sad day. I, I can point to several, different, probably three or four times in my life of people that I was held in high esteem that had moral failures. You know the feeling because you've had it. A sick, sick feeling. And then the, then the tremors start. That could be me. What if that would be me? I don't ever want to be there. Well, you, you picture the news headlines of your story. Whew, it's a terrible thing to think about. And, but if, my, if everything that I do and if all that I believe is wrapped up in that person, that would destroy me, but it's not. It's wrapped up on someone a whole lot higher than they are, one that will never have a moral failure, one that will never, never fail me. Amen. We better wrap ourselves around the Lord Jesus Christ and not a person. You'll see the result of what happens. Uh, Josiah got his convictions from a book from the book, the book. The word of God brought him to a place of humility. Verse 27, you see the result in chapter 34, 27. Look what it says. Because thine heart was tender and thou didst humble thyself before God when thou heardest his word against this place, against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me and didst rend thy clothes and weep before me. I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. God answered him like he answered Josiah's heroes, but now there was a personal relationship. Now he's talking directly to Josiah. So we see the progression. He had a hero. That hero led him to the house of God, which led him to the word of God, which led, brought humility into his life, and then he formed his own convictions. In my experience, friend, you will not go into error by reading this book. You go into error by all kinds of other things, the wrong influence. Now, I've said in the beginning, I don't, have all the answers to this at all, but I'm grateful for the ones who've gone before me that have been found faithful. Two of them are here today that have helped to shape and form my life. 
impact my life. Now, we need to do the same. Every single one of us, the call is clear for us today. and We've had the clarion call all weekend, be found faithful. There are people coming behind you. There are folks that are watching you right now, young men you're working with, and you have the opportunity to impact somebody's life, but you have to be found faithful. We have to stay at it. I want to, I'll close with this, this thought here. We, need, we really need to do this in our lives. We need three people, I believe, in our life. Every single one of us ought to have three people in our life. And I would encourage you, if you're taking notes, to write these down. I'm not even going to tell you what to write down. I'll t- uh, you're going to decide that uh, by the points I make. But number one, we need a Paul who's a pattern to us. We need a Paul who's a pattern to us. Every one of us. Now, what I'd like you to write down is who is that in your life? Somebody who's a pattern to you. Maybe it's your pastor. Maybe it's a a former pastor. Somebody that you've worked with. Somebody you respect. A Paul who's a pattern to us. 1 Corinthians 11.1 Be ye followers of me even as I also am of Christ. We need that Paul to be a pattern to us. One we can humbly learn from. Timothy was not what Timothy was in the Bible because he listened to and learned from Paul. He got that from God and yet he got to that point because he listened to and learned from Paul. We must never come to the point that we do in our, uh, never come to a point in our life where we feel that I don't need any help anymore. Kind of arrived now. We all need it. William Thackeray said, frequent the company of your betters. We ought to do that. I like to surround myself with betters. That's why you all are here. Every one of you is better than me. That's why you're invited. Amen. <laughs> I like to do that. I work with uh, Pastor Forsberg. Uh, he's wiser than I am. He's been preaching since Adam's dog was a puppy. Amen. And uh, been at it for a long time. And uh, I can learn from him. I got things we can learn from each other, can't we? We need a Pat Paul who's a pattern to us. Number two, we need a Barnabas who's a pal to us. That's another reason you're here. We need each other. We need Barnabases in our life those that will encourage us. We need a Barnabas to be a pal to us. Acts 15.25 It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas was nicknamed son of encouragement. He sought out and assisted others. The Bible twice tells us, Acts 9 and Acts 11, how he was kind to Paul, or Saul, and then Paul. And then once concerning the church in Antioch, Acts 11. And then to John Mark, Acts 15. Barnabas was the first to befriend Saul. He's the one that brought Saul, who the whole church was terrified of, and brought Saul, called him Brother Saul, and brought him to the people and and introduced them, said, hey, I've heard his story. I've seen what he's about. You can trust him. He's one of us. He's gotten saved. He's got got him. Where would Saul have ended up had not Barnabas encouraged the people to accept him? We need a Barnabas. We need friends in the ministry. Listen, even when a banana goes off by itself, it ends up getting skinned. Amen? You need friends in the ministry. Don't be a loner. These things are important. Amen? These things are for us to come to. Peter Lord said, the poison of non-fellowship kills so slowly you don't realize it. We need one another. Be that type of person to encourage other preachers. You need a Barnabas in your life. Somebody said it this way, friends are like good health. You don't know the gift they are until you lose them. We need friends. So who's your Barnabas? You got a Paul who's a pattern to you. Somebody ought to be an example to you. You got a Barnabas who's a pal to you. That's important. Thirdly, we need a Timothy who's a project to us. Every single one of us need a Timothy. We need somebody that we can pour our lives into. 
to where when we are found faithful, they benefit. When we are found faithful, we've got people. For, for years, I was in, <clears throat> in, in uh, the business world, and one of the things he always taught us in management is work yourself out of a job. And when you work yourself out of a job and somebody can do what you do, then you can move on up the ladder. But you've got to work yourself out of a job. That's what we ought to be doing the whole time, creating other yous. You be found faithful, create other people that are faithful. A Timothy will keep our focus. A Timothy will keep us sharp. Never stop investing yourself into the lives of other people. I, I really believe today, preacher, it's on you and it's on me to make sure the next generation has a grip on the truth. People are falling left and right around us. We see it almost monthly basis. It's on us to give to our folks and to our circles the whys behind the what's. I remember when I was younger, and I would listen to these preachers, and they'd rip and roar and scorch and holler, and, and uh, it was a bunch of what's. I didn't get many whys. Now, thankfully, I sought it out and learned it for myself in a lot of areas, but uh, we need to give the whys behind the what's. Nothing wrong with that, amen? Anyway, I hope that uh, some of these thoughts will be a help to you. We could go on and talk. I'm sure every single one of you would have lots of thoughts we could add, but uh, I want to... Get started. I thought we would uh, get our last message done, get you on the road this afternoon. So we're going to take a few minutes at this time. I'll close in prayer, and then we'll just take a few minutes in fellowship. And Women talk longer than men, don't they? Amen? Yeah, they do. Somebody told me the other day that the love between a man and a woman is psychological. Did you know that? One is psycho, one is logical. Amen? We all, we all know which is which, amen? Uh, shh, we'll just keep that to ourselves. Though. It's not on tape, is it? All right.